Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, I welcome you back to your seat. It is good to see everybody. Greetings to you if you're in the NPR, if you're watching the video, or if you're gathered here in the sanctuary. Uh, We're going to go back to Matthew 13 and finish up the last of seven parables that Jesus gives in the chapter, chapter 13 of Matthew. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would settle our hearts and minds, that you would just clear the clutter inside of us, God, and all the distractions, the cares, the worries, all of that. Let it settle so that we can make room for your living word. That's God-breathed. It's not like reading any other stories. This has life sent from the God who created all things, including us. So, Father, let that sharp two-edged sword go down deep and do the work that you have sent it to do. Encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, correct us, God, if need be. We need your wisdom today. Today, God, just such an easy, simple message of the gospel help us to Uh, listen, to hear, to apply, to put it into practice so we can be a blessing to you in Christ's name. And all God's people said a hearty. That was hearty. Very awesome. So 20 years ago, I had an opportunity to take a trip of a lifetime. A bunch of guys from Calvary Chapel, Petaluma, we're taking a fishing trip, a wilderness trip to Homer, Alaska. It was led by Mark Farrar, a good friend of mine, and he has a ministry called Eagle's Wings, a wilderness experience. And so the guys were getting ready to go, but a few days before they left, one of the men broke his ankle, and he decided to gift his spot to somebody. And long story short, I only had a couple days to pack before I was off on one of the best trips of my lifetime. The Alaskan wilderness, man, it's hard to describe. Uh, It's just pristine in every way. The landscapes are so unique and picturesque. The hiking trails, evidences of bears everywhere. In fact, we saw bears and wild mountain goats. It was just, it was wonderful. But the real big ticket item, of course, is the fishing. And so we were fishing in the streams. We were fishing along the ocean shore. We were fishing in the deep sea. 
And so I am not a fisher dude, uh, but have you ever heard of beginner's luck? <laughs> it's real, because I had it. And it was funny at first. And I say at first because Mitch Yellen, a friend of mine who was along on the trip, he said, you know, we were all entertained by this in the beginning, but now you're becoming irritating. <laughs> because everywhere I put a, in a line, it was fish on every single time. And so I learned a lot about fishing that week. And uh, not every fish is a good fish. One of those crystal clear rivers I pulled in a salmon that was darker than normal, but the colors were beautiful. But it didn't look so good, really. It looked kind of tired and kind of out of shape, to be honest with you. And so uh, Mark shook his head and did two thumbs down about that fish because that fish was a little early, headed upstream to spawn. And when they do that, to go back to the fresh waters, they stop eating, and they start decomposing before they reach the spawning beds, spawn, and die. And so those fish are bad fish, and the bad fish get tossed back. And so in those streams, you have to be judicious in those rivers. As you reel them in, there are good fish that you keep, and there's bad fish that get tossed. And so this is now a very useful segue to today's little fish story brought to us by God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the last parable of the seven, as I mentioned here in Matthew 13, a parable is a teaching story, an analogy from everyday life to teach us about salvation and the gospel and what God is up to in this world. And so he's telling stories, and he closes with a favorite. Well, of course, it's got to be a favorite because he's a, he is giving this story from a boat docked there on the lake to half of the disciples, our fishermen, and everybody in the crowd has some kind of uh, investment, if you will, in uh, the, the fishing industry there. They're all familiar with fish. That's how they live there. And so let's go fishing. Jesus' little story is going to have big truth. And some of it is very harsh. And uh, you'll have to fasten your seatbelts for that. So starting at verse 47, it'll be on your screen there. Once again, now the story is on. The kingdom of heaven, it's kind of like this. It's, it's like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it's going to be at the end of the age, Jesus said. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I told you to fasten up, right? <laughs> Verse 51, have you understood all these things? Now he's talking about all seven parables he just finished giving. 
And they all chime in, yes, <laughs> yes, of course, Jesus, we, can, we understand everything you say. Uh, not. Uh, verse 52, he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the Bible who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, is like an owner of the house who brings out of his storeroom, his safe, new treasure as well as old. And so there you have it, our text, our passage for consideration this morning. It's a good one. It's a pretty simple tale, is it not? And leave it to Jesus to be able to sum up the thrust of the gospel in three sentences. The important part, at least, right? I mean, what else matters in the whole entire world if you forfeit your own soul? If you lose your soul, if you, at the end of the story, get tossed, is there anything else that matters in life? No, not really. And so here's a story that's told as a warning Really? About the fish that gets away, really, to his own demise. Because in this fish story, you want to be a keeper. You want to be a keeper. And so the gospel is how to become a keeper. Awesome. And it's a good thing. You want to be a keeper because we know where the trash winds up, right? And because we know that those whom God keeps will enjoy, quote, eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore, Psalm 16. And so our passage divides quite nicely. If you're taking notes, first you've got the story. Pretty simple, right? And, and we'll be talking about how that relates to the gospel, the story. And then secondly, Jesus says, let me tell you what it means. And he really is going to hone in on the future reality of Judgment Day. And then we close up with the lesson, the, the bigger picture. Do you get how the gospel fits in with the Old Testament? That's his question. And they said yes, but we'll find out that maybe they're just a little presumptive there. So let's pull up alongside that boat, right? And hear what the master fisherman has to say and what God wants people to understand what he's up to. All right, and so... First, according to your text there now in point one, uh, I will paraphrase. I like to just say it another way as you follow along once more. Jesus says, how about this? Think of the gospel this way. A gigantic net gets lowered in the water and up comes all sorts of critters. When it's packed, the guys haul it to the beach. They gather up all the keepers, the good fish, into baskets, but the trash fish are thrown away. And you know what else was in that net as they hauled it up? A cell phone. And it was going off, and it was an alarm. Oh, thank you for shutting it off. See, all you have to do is uh, mention it. There you have it. Nice, I'm glad. That would have been annoying, amen? <laughs> All right, so now that we've settled that, and so now we're into our, our story here, and he says it's all about a net that gets let down. And so this is not the little net. The word in the Greek is sagene, and it means a dragnet. 
it's the big boy net. It's not the little guy that, that anglers use to scoop in a hooked fish to make sure they land that bad boy. Um, actually, it's got, I've got a picture of it, I think. It's ginormous. It has floats at the top and weights at the bottom, and they put it in uh, behind their boat, and it goes oh, deep and wide. And they just uh, row down and whatever's in its path, that net picks up. And so thank you for that fish. Really, uh, that uh, net, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All the fish get caught is what I'm trying to say in a net of that size. And so, yes, the net is let down from heaven by the strong hands of God Almighty who holds it in place. And God's net is a dragnet. It's deep and wide. It's deep as the lowest depths of this earth, which is about seven miles. That's the uh, deepest part of the trenches there in the Pacific. And his dragnet is pretty wide. It's 24,901 miles wide, his net, because that is the circumference of the earth. And so it can fill 200 million square miles of surface space because when God's net comes down, all the fish get caught. And one writer said, anyone with a beating heart must sooner or later know that you will be tangled in the net of the Most High God sooner or later, good or bad. And so it wasn't always that way that we'd have to die. It does say we've been appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. And there you go, a picture of exactly that. The dragnet comes down and every fish is appointed to get stuck in that mesh and then give an answer when hauled in before the throne of the God who gave that fish their life. And so it wasn't in the original plan, all of that, of course, but uh, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death came through sin, and in this way death spread to all people because all have sinned. And so that net got dropped at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. When the devil told Eve, you know what? God's just trying to keep a lot of fun from you. Go ahead. Look at it. Doesn't it look good? And she ate and brought some to Adam, and he ate with full understanding and full volition. And together, they died. The net came down, and all their progeny, all their children born to them, we are their children, must die too and find ourselves one day entangled in God's dragnet, healthy or unhealthy, rich or poor, good or bad. All will be snagged one day or another. Now, in another sense, it's not as dreadful as it sounds because God is seeking by putting that net down to seek and save the lost. It's really, from God's point of view, a safety net, and it's held by nail-scarred hands. 
He catches all kinds, your text goes on to say. And uh, So if you are one of those fish that happens to rise to the top of the school there, you're morally inclined and you manage your sin pretty well. You're outwardly successful, but you still need a savior. You get entangled in that net if you're surface fish. And if you plump to the bottom of the depths, the lowest of low, the net of God's love and mercy will find you. And his kindness will lead you to repentance if you just open your heart and trust him. And so, oh, oh to be entangled in the great net God. It is a wonderful thing depending on your reaction, your response to the gospel. So in that sense, we know that Jesus has good intentions with that net and that we all sort of have a net as well because he says, I'm going to make you guys fishers too. And all of you are going to cast the net. And every single time that you present the gospel or point somebody in any way toward Jesus, you're throwing the net out. And that's what he wants us to do because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever just believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, but they can't believe in somebody they don't know about. And faith to be saved comes from hearing the word of God. And whose mouth does God use for that? He casts the net through our lives as well. And so there's a lot of layers to this little story, or is there not? So when ultimately, though, what we're really talking is about is when you've been hauled in that net from hospice or from some highway where there'd been a terrible accident, that's what we're talking about. He's looking for one quality that makes you a keeper in that moment you weren't expecting that did come upon you. So as we move on in his story, he says uh, there that the, the, the net is hauled in and the fish are sorted out between two categories, good and bad, useful and valuable, or worthless. Now, good and bad requires the Bible's definition, since we're talking ultimately not about fish, but about people. And so let's settle this right from the jump, because number one, it's the number one misunderstood and damning concept about what happens after you die and who can go to heaven and who does not. So here's the lie. If you're basically a good person, comparatively speaking, if you compare down, like I, I'm, I'm better than a murderer, I'm not a criminal, I'm not a thief, I'm not a looter, I'm not an anarchist, I'm not a drunk, right? If you compare down, you look pretty good. But if you start comparing up, then Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. Uh, <laughs> Muhammad Ali was quoted when he was alive and the most famous boxer of, in the world, he said, one day we're all going to die and God is going to judge us for our good deeds and bad deeds. And if the bad outweighs the good, you'll go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you'll go to heaven. Uh, this is Islam because he became um, 
A Muslim, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say Islamist, but yeah, it would sort of work as well. And so, yes, in most of the world's understanding, out come the scales. And if your good outweighs your bad, you've you got to take it in. Well, Jesus' listeners would never make that mistake. They already know. They already know because he said it. He said it a lot of times. There's no such thing as a good fish. They're all bad. It's all the Dead Sea, folks. There's no life in it because the world has fallen. There's no such thing as a good person. He already said it. He said it lots of times. In fact, in front of everybody, a guy comes up to him and says, good teacher. And he says, well, stop right there. He says, what are you calling me good for? There's only one person who's good in the whole world, and that would be God. So I'm just asking you, are you catching on to my claim? That's what he wants to know. Hey, do you actually know that you just said that I'm God? Because there's only one who's good, so are you getting my claim? That's what he wants to know. And it goes on for days, as you know. I mean, we have Psalm 14. I think I have it for you. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there's any under who understand anyone who seeks God. No, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not one single fish. They're all bad if we go back to the fish story. And it seems like I want to do that a lot. <laughs> and so Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, Our righteous deeds, they're like filthy rags in God's sight. Because even your best deed, you still have sin. You still have the stain. How are you going to get rid of the stain, the corruption, right? By doing good deeds, Muhammad Ali said this, I sign autographs all day long until my hand is numb, hoping that Allah will see it. And with every autograph, I get closer to the gates of heaven. I heard him say that on an interview. That's how the world thinks they can get rid of the stain, but you can't get rid of the stain by doing good deeds. The wages of that stain is death. So somebody's got to pay. You or a redeemer. Somebody say, hey, listen, I'll pay that debt for you. And that, of course, is the gospel. So the sad reality is that, like I said, there's only a dead sea with bad fish swimming around, and here's the only hope, that God has a plan to take some of them who want to trust in him to make them from a bad fish to a good fish, and the word righteous means to be set right with God. That is what is done for those who have faith. For the, the righteous shall live by faith. And when you trust God, he, through Christ, sets you right with him and makes you righteous. So that's how a bad fish, which we all were, becomes a good fish in the net. It's not because of anything righteous you have done, but because of his mercy that you said yes to Christ, and by contacting his blood, that fish is changed. 
and to a new nature. Now, here's the gospel here in our go-to verse 4, transformation from death to life. So it's not a, listen to me. Getting to heaven has nothing to do with being good or bad. Nothing. It has everything to be about being going from dead to alive, being born again out of our, our sinfulness. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 2, our go-to verse there. As for you, you were all bad fish. You were a dead fish in, in which you used to follow the ways of this world and the evil one who's now at work and the disobedient, the whole school. All of us also swam among them. Sorry, I added the swam there. <laughs> among them at one time, gratifying the sinful nature, following its evil desires. Like everyone else, all the other bad fish. Like all of them, we were by nature deserving of wrath and judgment, but because of God's great love for us, God who's rich in mercy, mercy is not giving you what you deserve, made us alive. There's the gospel. That's what has to happen. You can't do anything good when you're dead, but he can make you alive with Christ because you believed. It's by grace, through faith, you have been saved. And so, yes, indeed, that's some good news. And so it's about becoming alive. So Jesus is now going to fast forward to the eschatological sense. Eschatology, it's a big theological word that means two words together in the Greek. Eschatos, which means last or the end ontology, study of, right? So you put them together, the study of end things and end, end times. And so uh, go ahead and follow along verses 49 and 50 now. So paraphrasing, this is how it's going to play out, Jesus says. He tells the story, then he says, I want you to know this is just not a fairy tale. This is how it's going to play out, people. When I return and end human history as we know it, one of the angel's tasks will be to help me sort out the wicked from those who were made right with God. Whenever you see the word righteous in your Bible, just say in your head, made right with God, and you will, you will get it. Verse 50, the wicked are thrown into a fiery furnace where there will be a lot of misery and anger. All right, so second point, now we focus on the future reality of judgment, which is a huge theme of the Bible from the beginning through the middle to the end. And more than that, what God did so that nobody would have to endure his wrath by enduring it in himself on that cross. And so first and foremost, make no mistake about it, God wants his basket full of good fish that are safe, right? And so in Luke 14, there's yet another parable, a little story about a king who's thrown a big party, a big banquet, and he wants everybody to come free of charge. And so he sends his servants out, and they come back and say, listen, king, you know, we've been inviting everybody to the free banquet from, from the king, 
It's going to be a wonderful celebration. I mean, your son's getting married and all, right? But a lot of people are making excuses, and they're not coming. There's not RSVP happening, King. And so he says, go back out there. You scour through every highway and byway, and the word is hedges. Look under the bushes for people. You've got a heartbeat under there. You've got a homeless guy under there. Throw the net. See if he wants to come. Because I want my house full. This is our God, 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that anyone perish, but that all would come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 4. God, our Savior, wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, he's swearing by himself, the Lord speaking, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and live. That's what our God wants. And so this whole thing about hell, he created hell for the devil and his angels. And then sadly, anybody who wants to follow them and spurn the love that cost God his only beloved son. And so God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and it's demonstrated there on the cross. So if anybody ever has a problem with hell, you just go to the cross, go to the cross. That's God. That is God in a human body, stripped naked. Stripped naked. Let's talk about that, not the conundrum of how can a God of love ever allow anybody to perish. Let's talk about a greater mystery, how a God of love could incarnate himself into a human being so that he can grow up to become a sin offering, a human sacrifice for rapists and child molesters and drug dealers and the lowest of low because he had to become their sin or they would have no hope of ever repenting and having eternal life. So he had to become all of that sin. And no wonder he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? So, yes, hell is a terrible thought. But what trumps that thought is the love of God for sinners, the compassionate heart of the Most High God. So, after this is how it unfolds, let me explain it to you. It's there there in the scriptures uh, after a grace period, it's been 2,000 years of wars and natural disasters, moral decline, an increase in lawlessness, even pandemics are mentioned there in Luke's version. That's phase one. And then the days of Noah, as in those days, men and women will be doing business as usual. Two will be in a field. One is taken, one is left. Two women will be in a kitchen. One is taken, one is left. Two people in a bed. Jesus' words, one goes, one stays. What's happening? Well, according to the Lord's own words, he removes the church from a Christ-rejecting world, which he is going to pour out his wrath on. And he removes the church because we are not appointed to wrath, as 1 Thessalonians says, chapter 5 and verse 9. Jesus paid for our wrath. 
We cannot be judged. We've been judged. Done. It is finished. So Jesus says, I will remove you from that which is coming upon the whole world. Revelation 3.10, the hour of tribulation. I will spare you, my church, from that terrible thing. And so phase two is the church is removed from harm's way. I'm getting to the sorting part of the story. And there's a seven-year period where Mr. Wonderful comes onto the scene, the Antichrist, who appears only after the church has been removed, and he brings peace, and he has answers, and he gathers together the world, and God starts bringing down the judgments, 21 of them, Revelation chapter 6, all the way through to 19, talks about what Jesus called the great tribulation. Mountains are leveled, oceans can't support life anymore, half the population perishes, the sun, moon, and stars aren't working, and that's not the half of it. And so Jesus said in Matthew 24, if those days weren't cut short, nobody would survive. During those days, after 1260 days after the Antichrist says, you know what, folks, I'm God. And if you don't worship me, you can't buy yourself. 1260 days from that moment when he sets himself up in the temple as God himself, Daniel chapter 9 and Revelation 11 and chapter 13 says, count 1260 days and boom, you will see Christ split the clouds open. He will come again. And that battle is called Armageddon, but it's not quite a battle, folks. <laughs> you know, he appears, they fire upon him, which is the dumbest move ever. Uh, they try to make war against him, and he slays them with the breath of his mouth, one word, and boom, it's over. And now it is time in the context of Jesus' story to haul in the net because the great fisherman is now on the shore. And he says, would you mind two-thirds of the angels who did not leave your former estate, who didn't follow Lucifer, all two-thirds of you give me a hand because it's a big net, 200 million square miles. I want you to bring to me the good fish and the bad fish. Now there were some who got saved. During the tribulation, they are the good fish. They are alive. They survived. And there are those who didn't repent. I've got that scripture for you. During the tribulation, here's what, the, here's what Revelation says about them. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still didn't repent of the work of their hands. They didn't stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, and bronze. That's all over the world, folks. Stone and wood and idols. They were still bowing down and lighting the incense and clapping and doing all of that hocus pocus. They didn't repent of their murders, their occultic practices, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So some of those bad fish repented and became good fish. And they're standing there, and they're alive in the tribulation. And Jesus has put them in baskets. Oh, the keepers, you go to the right. 
But what's up with not repenting? When you have an angel going across the sky proclaiming the gospel in your mother tongue while 21 judgments fall from heaven and the world is imploding and still you don't repent, give an account. Bad fish. Bad fish. And so he says, the bad fish get tossed into a place called Hades. Hell is not open for business yet, but Hades is. And Hades, according to Luke 16, is hot. And there are already people there. It's a holding place until after the thousand-year millennial kingdom, and there's another rebellion. And after that happens, all the wicked dead from the holding place are resurrected before what is called the great white throne. And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 20. And the great and the small, but all wicked, there's not one saved person in that crowd in Revelation 20. We're judged when the church is removed. We have stuff going on those seven years. And one of those things, scholar says, is we get evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ, which nobody ends up in trouble at. You may lose some reward, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but that judgment doesn't end in condemnation. Even if you escape through the flames, which he does say some of us will. Uh, I was telling that to one guy, and he said, you know what? I'm just going to be so glad to be there. <laughs> I'm just going to be so glad to be in heaven. Amen? Amen. You're a little quiet today. <laughs> it could be the subject matter, you know. <laughs> so. But, you know, it is good weather <laughs> to be talking about a very hot place. And so, yes, this is what's going to happen. And then, by the way, after the great white throne, now evil is gone forever. And then he makes a new earth and a new heavens, one that's never been marred by sin. And so that is called the eternal state, and we look forward to that. Now, let's get this what seemingly off-topic remark of Jesus. He's done with that story, and everybody's like, whoa, right? Just like you guys were, and, and that's heavy, right? And then he comes up with something that seems off point. He says in verse 51 there, now, do you get the point of all these parables? The Lord asks, and they say, yes, we do. <laughs> They all said that in unison, right? 52. So every Bible teacher, teacher of the law, the law is a nickname for the Bible. Every Bible teacher has been taught the gospel is like a man who has a safe full of gems, vintage and new. So let's talk about that as we wrap up things here. Just a few quick comments. Now to a larger, broader a meaning of what the parables uh, that are really preaching the gospel. Here's, here's what Jesus is asking. He's saying, do you get, guys get what I've been trying to say now uh, with this gospel that he's been teaching? All of the parables are gospel, 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 gospel. Two guys who only know the Old Testament. They have 39 books uh, they're very familiar with Judaism and how to please God through Judaism and all of that. And he just wants to know, 
How are you understanding the new covenant, this new gospel where you can't do everything, Messiah does everything, then you walk right with him? Are you getting it? That's what he's saying. And they all go, yeah, of course, Jesus. Come on, you guys, tell the truth. I mean, they had to pull him aside and say, uh, could you tell us what the meaning of the weed and the weeds are? You know, they don't know how to latch their sandals correctly. But, of course, they're saying, of course, yes, they always answer that. Uh, one commentator said this. I love it. Some of the Lord's disciples have a more optimistic view of their own spiritual progress than may be warranted. I thought that was funny. All right. And I, I love the admon, admonition that Paul tells the Corinthians. He says, anyone who claims to know it all really doesn't know really much at all. That's what he says. If you want proof, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. All right. So the best answer to any time God asks you, do you get this? Are you, how are we doing here? You, you say, we're trying, Lord. We're trying. Right? And so uh, Jesus is, here's what Jesus is saying. If you've been correctly taught the gospel, you will value the Old Testament as much as the New Testament because there are two phases, two covenants of one plan, the same plan, to seek and save the lost. And so Jesus knew people would, would mistake that he was coming to replace, and everything is now replacing Judaism. He's saying, no, no, Judaism has value. It's the part of the same treasure chest. You just have to have the gospel to understand and apply the Old Testament. We wouldn't want to unhitch ourselves from something that Jesus says is a treasure. And so here, you know, we love the Old Testament, if you go online and go to our website, you'll see 15 years worth of verse-by-verse -verse studies through almost all of the Old Testament is on there for your study. Because you know what? The gospel may be like a man who has a safe, and in the safe he has a diamond-studded Rolex that he recently bought. But in the same safe, he says, oh, 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 wait a second. I got something from 1510, the very first gold uh, pocket watch that's priceless. Millions, of, it's worth millions of dollars, that little uh, pocket watch that's nothing like the Rolex, right? See, that's what Jesus sees the whole Bible as all Scripture is God breathed and is precious. And you better not. I mean, look at what Jesus did. The devil comes to him and says, hey, use your powers to satisfy your hunger. And he goes, Deuteronomy 8, 3, pulls out a gem. He goes, oh, I got some treasure. It's old. Oh, but it's a treasure. And he says, hey, you know what? Jump off. God's going to... Uh, God's going to protect you because I know the scriptures too. Psalm 91 and all of that. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. I've got something Deuteronomy 6. 6, look at this little baby. And then he says, you know what? I could give the treasures of this world to anybody I want. Just worship me. And Jesus says, I've got another gem. Deuteronomy 6.13. 
So what God in a body values and goes to and tells them, if you guys just understood Hosea 6.6, 6, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And on the cross, he goes into his treasure chest and he's looking in and he finds Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his last words, he's in the chest again and he pulls out a gem. Psalm 31.5, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus wants us to integrate the good news with the old news, which is the same news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The Messiah would be a sin offering. Salvation is the free gift of faith. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to avoid. There's a devil to resist. And there's a day of judgment coming. And on that day, there's a separation going to take place Believers to the right, unbelievers to the left, sheep to the right, goats to the left, wheat to the right, weeds to the left, good fish to the right, bad fish to the left. It's all one story. And it's all a valuable treasure. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you. We get the story. We really do. We're trying, God. And with your grace, you help us. Help us take to heart this simple message over and over again that you love us. You don't want anybody to perish, but to have everlasting life simply by trusting Christ. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our current service is held on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 